Welcome to Christian Fellowship Ministries. We are glad you joined us. This sermon series challenges us to check ourselves from the inside out. Listen as Pastor Lucas O'Neill explains. We're here today, walking the earth in physical form, and planted a church. How big it would be. I mean, my first inclination is to say, well, it would be the biggest. I mean, he's Jesus. But then when you put on the TV and you listen to the preaching of the guys that have those real huge ones, and then you read the Bible and read like how Jesus preached, it doesn't really match up. In fact, uh, sometimes I, I will read Jesus stuff and then I'm looking at my sermons and I'm like, I wonder if I'm like being too easy. Jesus really did not uh, cater his words to try to get people to sit and listen. In fact, wouldn't he often end his sermons or, his, his, or punctuate his sermons with, hey, those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. You know, in other words, like, I'm putting it out there. If you're going to hear it, that's on you. But I'm not going to cater to your itching ears. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth. And if it hurts, you, you have to change you know, or you can walk away. In fact, didn't he one time turn around and go, whoa, 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 all you people following me. And then he gave him some of the hardest teaching ever. I mean, he put it in a real strange way too, right? Like he's like, if you, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can have a part of me. And people are like, what? Was he a vampire? That's disgusting. And they walked away. This rich man wanted to follow Jesus. And he said, Rich guy, I want you to take all your stuff that you've accumulated, all of it. And even though I don't ask this of everybody that follows me, I'm asking you, give it all away. And he walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff. So Jesus didn't start with, what can I do? What can I say to get people to follow me? He didn't start there. He started with, what am I going to hit them between the eyes with, whether they like it or not, so that if they're going to follow me, it's going to be the right way. That's where he started. And one of the best examples of that was his Sermon on the Mount, a really long sermon that goes from Matthew 5 to 7. We've already started it. And the way he starts out this message toward the beginning is to say, okay, look around you guys. Look around you. You feel like you're okay. You know, you feel like you're all right. You feel like you've attained some sort of righteousness enough to just be okay. And you look to the person to the right and to the left, and maybe you feel a little bit better about yourself. But I got to tell you, he tells them, you know the Pharisees, the guys that have, all they do all day is wear holy garments. You know, all they do all day is walk around teaching people scripture, teaching them how to obey the law. They study the law. They memorize it. That's all they do all day. You know those guys? Your righteousness has to be better than theirs. Otherwise, you have no part with me. And so they're like, what are you talking about? How can we keep the law better than the expert law keepers? You mean forget the law and do something else? He goes, no, I mean fulfill the law. I mean do the law the right way. And so he raises the bar to this impossible level. But then he empowers us to obey it. Today he starts with his examples. We talked about inside-out living. You have to live from the inside-out, not following external laws, memorizing a bunch of stuff and just putting on a good Christian show. It's got to come from inside of you. 
this change that God does in your life comes from the inside, and then it works in exterior changes, but it starts from the inside of you. And then he starts pulling out examples. Like, for example, when you're in this situation, another example when you're in that situation, we're going to look at the first example today. And I think it's, uh, if you're anything like me, it's a hard pill to swallow. So as we turn there, quietly in your heart, just ask the Lord to give you the strength to not be one of those kinds of people that walks away, but just fall on our knees and repent and just ask Him, okay, okay, change me then. Change me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles available in front of you in the pew. And Matthew's real easy to get to. The Bible is divided into two testaments, two halves, basically. It's not even halves. But if you go to the second half, the New Testament, the first book is Matthew. That's where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to read his first example. And his first example is to take an Old Testament law that everybody agrees on. Everybody agrees on it. And most of us will say, yep, I, I follow that. And then he's going to flip it and show us how, no, we don't. He starts with verse 21. He says, you have heard it, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now let's, let's pause there a second, because it, we need to get the background on this. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, right? They were the, they were the ones that would sit in the synagogue and teach this stuff all day. They would teach that there's big stuff that you really have to worry about, and then there's small stuff that's not that really that big of a deal. You know, because you would sit there and go, well, this is a lot of rules. <laughs> I mean, have you ever read the Old Testament? It's a lot of rules, you know? Don't do this and do that and make it like this and don't do it like that and how to cook your food and how to everything. And so they would say, well, you know, some of this stuff, if you break it, like misdemeanors, you know, it's like a slap on the wrist. But then you have felonies, and that's judgment. And so Jesus said, you've heard it like murder is way up here, right? Like if you murder somebody, it's way up here. Now Jesus doesn't flip that and go, no, 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 murder is down here. No, he leaves it there. Murder does make you liable for judgment. But then look what he says. But I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So go, who, who are the kind of people that end up in hell? Who are the people that get eternal damnation? Well, you could easily start thinking about stuff. If you turn on the news, I'll show you a bunch of people picketing right now all over Newark and Chicago and in California. I don't know where, you know, it's popping up everywhere, all these riots about Trayvon Martin. This teenager black kid that was shot point blank by a supposedly, now we don't know the whole story, okay? So don't start clipping my sermon and forwarding it and, you know, starting a, a Facebook wave uh, of misinformation. We don't know the whole story. But what people see is some racist guy that just shot a kid point blank in the chest claiming self-defense when the kid was holding a bag of candy and a drink. Now everybody's crying. Racism, how come he hasn't been arrested yet? If it were the other way around, he would have been arrested immediately. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's a hit case of racism. They're saying this guy is a murderer. He killed an innocent victim. Murderer, murderer. And they've got the signs up. You can YouTube it. All the, the riots that are happening. And they're crying out, murderer. Now, everybody's looking at this guy with disgust. As they maybe should, if that's the case, if that's what happened. That is disgusting. Now we go, now I can see how someone like that is liable to eternal judgment of some kind. Of some kind of, he's got to stand before God at some point. If, if he doesn't ever stand before our judges, he's going to stand before the judge. And he'll get the right shakedown. What Jesus is saying is, see that same writing, that same sign that says murder, that same like, yes, yes, that deserves judgment. He's going, when you're angry with your brother, same thing. Now, do you see why I don't know how many members would stay in Jesus' church? I mean, that's crazy. He's saying, the person who murdered somebody, like the old story, like Cain and Abel, and you're like, oh, Cain, how did that happen? He invented murder. That's like disgusting. And he's going, that was way on the end of the spectrum. Cain's problem started way earlier than that. When they both offered an offering to the Lord, the Lord favored one of them, didn't accept Cain's, and anger started. That's what's liable for judgment. Now, Jesus isn't saying all sins are, have the same effect. Obviously, it's better that you don't murder somebody. It's better to just stay angry than murder somebody. But our problem is we say, at least I don't murder him, and we're okay with the anger. And Jesus is saying, but God isn't. God is not okay with that. God is not okay with that anger. So he says, I know you've been taught that murder is wrong. I know you've been taught that if you murder somebody, if you take somebody's life, then you're liable for judgment. And that's true. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, I know there's such thing as anger that's okay because God is angry. Does God get angry? Yes. If you had to hesitate, read the Bible again. I mean, yes, okay? God gets angry, right? As a dad, I get angry. And I don't think that I'm called as a dad to just never get angry. Oh, I'm sorry, you pushed, you're bullying someone at school, okay? Well, hey, can you stop that? No, I I need to be, what, what happened at school? There should be some anger in my eyes. Now, how do I handle that anger? Okay, so now what Jesus is talking about is not the anger that's just, like, hey, You did something, and that upsets me. He's not talking about that. But I don't think I need to preach that, right? I think we know what he's talking about. He's talking about that unchecked anger, that unbridled anger, that in a world of chaos, uh, if this was the Lord of the Flies, have you ever read that book? These kids get dumped on an island, and suddenly there's no adults, no counselors, no teachers, no superintendent, and they get left to their wild selves, and they become crazy. The point of that book is that's what we are. If we're left unchecked with rules, we all, we all just... So he's saying that bitter root would become murder if there weren't some law against it. If it, if you just, if it weren't so many consequences. If you just, but if your conscience was a little bit more seared, that anger would lead to that action. 
It's an unchecked anger. It's an anger that's, that's out of control. It's an anger that you can't control. When you see that person, you start seething. You can't help it. You don't decide to do it. It just wells up inside of you. It's that person that you defriend on Facebook. It's that person that when you, they walk into the room, you feel it in your gut, and suddenly the whole evening is ruined for you. It's that person that you can't stop thinking about when you're reminded of that thing. It's that person that when you hear a sermon on forgiveness, it's the per- first thing that comes in your mind, and the first thing that you start pushing out of your mind. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, you know, hey, honey, you did this, and that, that upset me. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when your husband does something and you're not going to say anything because I can't believe he can't figure it out for himself. You know, and then you start tapping your toes and then she comes, he comes home and you're like, he better start figuring it out. And then you slam down the dinner and you slam and you start. That's what he's talking about. Because is that right? You didn't, he didn't come home and you didn't sit down and like, hon, this upset me when you did this. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the anger that's inside of you that, man, it's like a murderous anger. You know, but you wouldn't really murder somebody, but just in your mind, you're just like, oh, I hope he gets a flat on his way home. Like, you know, whatever. You're just, you're wishing ill against a person. You, that person is not someone you're loving right now. That, that person is not, you can't approach that person in love and say lovingly, hey, this upset me because there's no love in the mixture. You know, this is anger. This is bitterness. This is a grudge. You have a serious problem. With this person. And he's saying, you're, you're, you're liable to judgment just like someone who murders. Um, the problem with that is, you know, none of us are okay with murder, but we're okay with this, right? I mean, we're okay with this. This is how we operate. We stew for two, three days, and half the time we don't really reconcile the situation, it just kind of blows over. And we just bury it and kind of forget about it, but it's there. But maybe some of us, it hasn't blown over. And you have a dad you haven't talked to in years. And you have a cousin that, you know, you avoid the reunions that that cousin attends. And, you know, there's people in your life that there's still something between you and them. And God is saying that that's not, you need to take a time out a second. Because the same judgment that I will throw at someone who murdered someone, it may not be the same extent, may not have the same consequences, but you're still liable in front of the same judge. Look at how he unpacks it a little bit. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, come on. (laughs) Are you reading the same... Translation, I mean, he's saying, if you're driving your car and someone cuts you off and you're like, idiot, and then you pull in the speedway, you should be in hell. Read it. That's what he just said. Now, if I ask for a show of hands, please don't raise your hand. (laughs) But if I ask for a show of hands, who in here has murdered somebody? I don't know how many hands would go up. But I asked for a show of hands, and how many of you in the last week, month, whatever, have called somebody something that was insulting? You know. You see what Jesus is trying to do? We're okay with the okay Christianity. And we've become accustomed to certain things. Hey, 
you know, if, if, if I yell something and my wife is like, hey, hon, you're yelling. And I said, but he is an idiot. Who would cross traffic like that? Only a moron. You know, I'm making this up because I never do this. But, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, hey, and then what's my justification? My justification is, but he is. And that's where we get off, right? Oh, we shouldn't be angry with that person. Did I tell you what that person did to me? That person did A, B, and C. Yeah, you're right. I'd be angry too. Okay. Not okay. Because if you notice something that's missing from the text, he doesn't say uh, the person will be liable for judgment who calls somebody a fool who isn't a fool or insults somebody that doesn't deserve it or is angry with somebody that you shouldn't be angry with. No, he doesn't say who's culpable. He just says angry, period. Insult, period. Now, when Jesus was before the people, and if anybody should be insulted, it's the people that plucked his beard and punched Jesus in the face. Did he insult them? No. And that's the example we follow, right? As a sheep before his shears, Jesus was silent. And he bore those wounds without saying anything to them. When if anybody had the right to say something, it was him. And we get cut off in a tollway line, and stuff comes out of our mouth that we're okay with. And Jesus is saying, no, that damns you to hell. If you insult your brother. You know, we tell the kids not to call each other names, but we have our own ways. Jesus is saying that's not okay. And then he does something, you know, that's hard enough. And then verse 23, he does something else where it's like, man, Jesus, leave me alone. You know, get off of me for a minute. Verse 23 just leaves no wiggle room. He creates a situation. Say you're offering your gift at the altar. You're from Galilee. And you travel 80 miles south down to the city of Jerusalem because once a year you come with your family with your particular gift of offering and you bring it to the temple to have it sacrificed to take care of all your junk. This was worship. This was how they worship. Now, we gather on Sundays, and we do worship a little bit differently because we recognize we don't have to bring animals in here as a sacrifice because Jesus did the sacrifice. That's what this is about. But he's saying you're gathering to worship, and you've got your gift, and you're going to approach the altar, and you're going to give this to worship. You're saying, God, the things between me and you are clear now. You know, the, the, the stuff that separates us, it's okay now because of this sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, that sacrifice is going to be worthless. Watch. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, what's, what's strange here, guys, I don't know if you caught it, what's strange here is, he says, if you're coming to the altar and you realize you're angry at somebody, no. If you're approaching the altar and you realize someone has taken issue with you, rightly or wrongly, someone out there has a problem with you. You did something to them or even maybe they misinterpreted something you did. But maybe now they're the ones upset with you. Maybe you were angry and you insulted or you did something. But now you're fine. But that person out there is not okay. 
He's saying, will you come and worship? You come to bring something to the altar? Don't do it. He's not saying, it'd be a good idea if maybe you took care of that. Or you know what? Offer your altar and then take care of it later. He's saying, drop it and go back and first do that. You know why? Because reconciliation takes priority over worship. Another way to put it, if reconciliation doesn't take place, worship can't take place. Oh, you can sing the songs, you can come and sit, you can smile, you can wear your Sunday polo, but all that stuff is for nothing if there's beef between you and somebody else. If there's beef between you and somebody else outside of this place, then inside of this place there's beef between you and God. That's what he's saying. You can't separate those relationships. You know, that that person that you can... ah, Oh, you know, and then you come in here and like, oh, that's it's such a bad week. I just want to be blessed today. Doesn't work like that. He's saying you have to take care of that first or this is a waste of time. And what makes it harder is that it's not just the person that you're angry with. It's like you have to be mindful of people that are upset with you. And we might say, you know what, but if that person has the problem, right? That person is the offended person. That's the person that should speak up. That's the person that should say something. So I'll wait for them to say something. In the meantime, it's not my problem. It's no sweat off my back. They're the one that's in debtor's prison and stewing about it all day. I'm free. I have no problems. Yes, you do have a problem if you didn't do something about it. Now, there's people in your life that won't have it. You'll leave the gift at the altar. You'll go try to get reconciled, and they're not going to have it. Okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the situations where you know it's something that you can address. You know it's something you can bring up and you choose not to because of your pride, because of your anger, because you are regarding this person as somebody less than worthy of your best effort to reconcile with. And you come and you just do your Christian thing. Let me just do my Christian thing. And just to see, these are real Christians. That person's an idiot. That person's a fool. That person, you know, whatever. Um, I'm going to just put that person on the margins of my life and let's just do church. And Jesus is saying, no, you, that cancels all this out. This is all not worshipful to the Lord because that hasn't been resolved. So leave your gift at the altar and go start that reconciliation. Then come back and worship. And I have to wonder, you know, if there's some of us sitting here that shouldn't be here today. I have to wonder if there's some of us in here this morning that are sitting here in the pew and you came to worship and you came to offer something and you came with your best intentions, but maybe you're just getting blindsided right now by the sermon. You're going, oh my goodness. Before I came here today, there was something I should have taken care of. And maybe you should have taken care of it a long time ago. And this is the time where Jesus is calling you out before it's too late. Why would I say before it's too late? Read the rest of what Jesus says. Leave your gift before the altar and go, verse 24. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to, your, to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So he's sticking with the metaphor, the story, the illustration. The illustration is a guy that goes to the synagogue to offer something. Somehow in his anger, he wronged somebody. Okay? As he goes to that altar to offer his gift, he realizes 
man, I, I, I wronged that person. I did something that was insulting. He's saying, if, if you don't hurry up with the reconciliation, it's going to end up before a judge. That person's going to sue you or bring you before the, the Sanhedrin in that day and say, this person, I have proof, I have two witnesses, this person called me this name or this person did this insulting thing or whatever. This person wronged me. Now your time to reconcile has passed. Now you're before the judge. And the judge isn't going to go, are you sorry? Are you sorry now? No, at that point it's too late. At that point the judge has to give judgment. And the judgment is guard, take him away. And once the guard takes you away, you're stuck in prison until everything has been paid for. The very last penny, they translated it penny because it's like the smallest amount is not going to be just forgiven. You're in prison. You, you're, you're in judgment now. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the time is, time is ticking. God is watching. And right now you have a window of opportunity to fix things with people that need to be fixed. To reconcile with people that need reconciling. But if you don't hurry, there's going to come a time where you stand before the judge, capital J. And at that point, he's not going to give you a second chance to reconcile those relationships that you should have reconciled here on earth. And at that point, he says, guard, take him away. Guard, take her away. And you end up in prison. Now, how long is a judgment for somebody that doesn't have Jesus or isn't covered by Jesus' sacrifice for them? How long does somebody separated from God if, if they don't make it into heaven? How long? Eternity. I mean, if you read the Bible, this is, this is an eternal thing. There's no second uh, series, you know? Uh, let's wait for season two to come out and see what happens. No, this is it. This is done. Now, that might ruffle our theology a little bit and go, wait a minute. So are you saying, like, if I'm a Christian and I get saved and give my life to the Lord and then I insult somebody and then never reconcile or take care of that, then suddenly being a Christian gets reversed and I end up in hell? No, I don't think so. But I do think he's talking about hell here. Let me prove that real quick and then I'll iron out the wrinkle. Okay? To prove that, when he's talking about this judge and he's talking about that payment and that debt, paying it to the last penny, look up at verse 20. Remember, this is an illustration. He's talking about anger as an illustration. You know how I have a sermon and then I'll do an illustration in there? This whole anger thing is just one of his examples. Look up at verse 20. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. Right? So he's saying, that's his main statement. He's saying, my main point here, guys, is if your righteousness is not better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will never make it to heaven. For example, if you're angry with somebody, you insult somebody, you call somebody a name, you go to worship, and in there you realize, ooh, I've got a, there's something between me and somebody else. I did something to somebody, and they're holding it against me, and I know they are. And you ignore that. Back to the main statement. Then your righteousness is not better than that of the Pharisees. You're the same. You're a hypocrite. And you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will go into the prison until the last penny is paid, which is eternity. And then just drop your eyes down to the next one. I don't want to step on the toes of the sermon that's going to be on these verses. 
He uses another illustration about lust. Yeah, you, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, but the problem is the lust starts inside your heart. Look at the result. Verse 30. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. What's he saying? He's saying do everything it takes, everything it takes to stop, to, to win the battle on lust. Do everything it takes. I mean, if you, had to, if you had to cut off your hand, if that would help, it's better to do that. If you had to pluck out an eye so you just couldn't see, couldn't see the stuff that's tripping you up anymore, that would be better than to end up in hell. So Jesus is talking about where you're going to end up in eternity in each of these examples, and it's no different for the one we're looking at. He's saying you come to church, and you hear that convicting message, and you realize there's somebody out there that you can reconcile with. You need to go do it. Why? Because you'll lose your salvation? No, because if you just, you know what? I know that person has a problem with me. I know that person has a problem with me, and I know there's beef between me and that person, but I don't care. I'm not going to do it. So God, we're going to worship my way, or it's the highway. Does that sound like a Christian to you? No. Jesus' point is, if your righteousness is not better than the Pharisees, it's because you don't know me. But if you know me and I'm transforming you from the inside out and you live an inside out kind of life, you're the kind of person that is not okay with going to church when there's somebody that has beef with you. You're not okay with it. When all that we had to offer God was filthy rags, he reached down and died for us. He's saying, go do it, guys. Go do it. It's going to hurt. It's going to take, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you know, have a lot of boldness to pick up that phone and dial that number. And it's going to be really laying your pride down to say, I'm sorry. And it's going to take all that is in you to not bring up all the things that they did, which is three times as worse, you know, that, than what you did. This is why you're, whole, this is why you're not reconciling, because you're like, man, look what they did. It's worse. That may be true. That may be true. But this isn't between them and God. This is between you and God. And God is saying, if you're going to worship me, you're going to be a, a, a follower. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, into heaven, you're going to be one of my people, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then this is how you're going to live. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no hesitations. There's no questions. You do it. And if you don't, then you might want to take a look in the mirror and ask if you really know Jesus. Because knowing Jesus isn't showing up at his gatherings, guys. Knowing Jesus is not knowing verses about Jesus. Knowing Jesus is that inward transformation where you're like, man, left to my own devices, I would act like this, but something more than me, something bigger than me is, is, is just kind of guiding me to, to act in this weird way, you know, um, which to the world is weird. But to Jesus, it's par for the course. This is how a believer lives his or her life. You don't come and worship when there's relationships that it's in your power to do something about patching those up. I think this is one of those sermons that um, requires that we take a little bit of time. And I'm, and I'm glad today is communion because, um, you know, the Bible tells us we don't, just, we don't just come and throw down here. This is not, you know, uh, a barbecue. Uh, this is not to fill our stomachs. You guys go get lunch later if you're hungry. Uh, this, this represents something serious. Uh, the, uh, the broken bread 
It's unleavened bread. It's not wonder bread. It's unleavened bread because leaven in the Bible represents sin, and Jesus was without sin. It's the perfect bread. It's the, it's the, the clean bread, a bread with nothing added to it. Nothing has stained it. Nothing has ruined it. And it's broken because his body was broken. The juice is from the vine because Jesus is the vine. And, you know, it's not an accident that it has a similar color to what Jesus spilled for us. It might be a little bit gross. But, guys, sometimes this is a little too sanitized with our little clear disposable cups and our little shiny plates. I mean, this was, this was spilled out of a person. It was splattered. It was from punches. It was from a spear. It was from whips. And what it represents is the sacrifice he made so that we can be reconciled to God. And we dare not say, that's okay for us, but what that person did to me, or whatever my problem is with that person, I'm not going to reconcile that because I'm above that person. You're not above that person any more than God was above you. And look what God did. This is how it gets done. If you have a hard time picking up that phone, it's because you need to come back here. <laughs> you know, Jesus had a hard time doing this. But he did it so we could be so radically changed. We can live lives outside of the box of humanity that says, follow the rules. They take out your eye, you take out two of their eyes. You know, they, tooth for tooth and tit for tat. He said, blow that all out of the water and pick up that phone, even if that person never says sorry. Now, there's going to be people in your life, guys, that never apologize to you. Do you hear what I'm saying? They did something egregious, and they still will not own up to it. In their own mind, they excuse it. They're abusers. And they will never say, I'm sorry. But between you and the Lord, you need to do what's on your half to reconcile. And if you did something to that person, you need to apologize. If you did something to insult that person, you need to ask them for forgiveness. And stop waiting for them to start the conversation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, This is one of those moments where we might want to let the plate pass if we're not ready to to fix this. But if you're saying, Lord, you know, I want to leave here with the strength that you give me because of your forgiveness of me, the strength that it takes to leave here and maybe even skip lunch, just go home, pick up that phone and make that phone call or go visit that person or whatever. Maybe a door gets slammed in your face. Maybe they don't want to talk, but you start the conversation. You write a card. You write a letter. Get creative. Find a way to say, you know what? I don't want to bring up the past. I don't want to bring up all the junk. I just want to own up to my stuff. I said this. I did that. And I just realized I'm sorry. And there's no strings attached. I'm not saying sorry if you'll say sorry first. I'm not saying sorry hoping that you'll say sorry second. I'm just saying sorry because I can no longer stand before God and worship him while I have a problem here. And I just don't want any beef between us. Use this time as the elements are passed out and the team is playing softly to square that away between you and the Lord. And if you have no intention of getting stuff fixed, don't take. But if you want the Lord to empower you, then grapple with the cross and ask that God would say, Jesus, help me be so impacted by what you did here that I'll have no choice but to leave here and be the peacemaker. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward.
As these plates are passed, let's spend time in prayer. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church.